This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Mark, have you been getting the time on the trap line that you've wanted to this winter? Yep. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad that I pretty well got what I wanted, um, about a week ago or 10 days ago before this cold, nasty cold weather. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's so we're, we're all shut down for, for, for the season and, and, uh, goodness, I wouldn't want to be up there at minus 40. Oh, no kidding. Like it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's harmful to the animal if it's caught in a trap to be, it'll just freeze quicker, but it's harmful to the trapper that's going out there having to take his mittens off and touch steel and curse a snowmobile that might not want to start and those sorts of things. It's pretty dangerous too. I mean. Just from a safety factor, I know down here in the lower Rocky Mountains, some of the trappers like to get into the back ends and out before the avalanche dangers start to pick up. I don't know if you deal with that, but we definitely haven't had this cold like this. So good, good for you. How was the trapping season? That was great. Yeah. We've got uh, 16 Martin, which is about as many as I should take off my line. I wouldn't want to take any more with, without depleting the, the stock. Right, right. Hey, no, how, how's everything else look like how to link the links on your line? Like, are they upcycle, downcycle? Yeah, there are a few links around. We've got one and we've got a fox and, and several coyotes, but, uh, uh, we might, might do a little wolf trapping here still, but for the most part, we're we're shutting down. Right. All right. Well, we're supposed to get out of this Arctic deep freeze. So maybe that'll give you, it's cause you still got lots of time this winter. So hopefully you'll get some good weather. Hey everybody. It's Mark Hall, your host. And it's Curtis Hall, the co-host. The Hunter Conservationist podcast is proudly sponsored by J Martin Taxidermy, where founder Jesse Martin's passion for hunting and fishing evolved into a commitment to preserving hunting memories through unparalleled taxidermy artistry. From majestic big game to elusive game birds, trust J. Martin Taxidermy to bring your hunting memories to life with unmatched skill. Head over to jmartintaxidermy.com and preserve your hunting legacy with the best guy in the field. As always, huge shout out. Thank you to Jesse and his family, J. Martin Taxidermy, for their continuing support of what we do here on the Hunter Conservationist podcast. Cool. Yeah. Thanks to Jay Martin Taxidermy. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Boyce from the University of Alberta. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. 
Thank you. Yeah, looking looking forward to it. Seeing you lots on uh, Twitter and uh, various articles and stuff like that. So it's it's awesome to have have you on the show. Um, Going to dive into a topic that uh, kind of it, it's always there in the background. Um, the the effect of hunting on evolution uh, of various species around the world. It, it comes up a lot with uh, in all kinds of forums, like everything from African elephants and you know sheep and ibex in in Europe, and always seems to be com- coming up as a as a hot topic. And not that long ago, uh, I had a follower um, reach out and ask some questions and thoughts about Alberta's uh, sheep horn regulation, sheep hunting seasons, sort of in relation to uh, the topic that we're going to talk about. And, and you know, I just started digging into the topic to try to give some thoughts to, you know, the questions that we've got and just thought, man, I got to reach out to some more people uh, and, and learn more about this topic myself. And um, so that's what this episode's going to be about. Um, Dr. Boyce has um, looked extensively over the studies that have been published in Alberta um, and, and uh, in particular one study that's fairly well known in the sheep hunting world in North America, the Ram Mountain study uh, in Alberta um, that's been led by dark Dr. Marco Festebanket. Um, from Laval uh, in in Quebec University. So what I'm going to do here just quickly for folks uh, is kind of summarize, you know, uh, that research. And then um, Mark will kind of dive into the various points of it with with his his thoughts and some of the stuff he's published on it. So the Ram Mountain study uh, has been uh, a research project that's been going on in Alberta on mountain sheep for a little over 40 years now, looking at individual sheep and tracking uh, the pedigree of sheep. Um, So, you know, family lineages, uh, mother, daughter, daughter, father, son, like all that kind of stuff. I've been following that pedigree. And what was found over the last 40 years is that the horn size in rams was getting smaller. And part of that decline was attributed to a decline or a change in the genetics for horns. And in particular, a genetic that coded for really fast growing horns. So if a young ram inherited this gene, he would grow horns very quickly at a very young age. Um, Part of that decline, um, the, or the genetic portion of the decline, I'll get into that a bit more, uh, was attributed to intense hunting pressure. So just to give folks the background on what that is, is between 1973 and 1995, uh, Alberta had the four-fifth curl rule for bighorn sheep. And because some of these rams had these genes for really fast growing horns. They were actually becoming legal for hunters anywhere between the age of like two and four years old. I think um, 
uh, if I remember some of the numbers between two and four, uh, could be a legal ram uh, that could be taken. Um, and as you, most people know, or maybe you don't know that uh, in bighorn sheep, dominance and, and the, the reaching full breeding maturity doesn't happen until rams get really big horns at about the age of seven is when they're peak uh, reproductive and they actually start to get engaged in mating uh, in, in the breeding season around seven. Um, so rams that were between four and six years of age in Alberta had like a 40% chance of being shot every, every year uh, once they reached that four-fifths curl. And as I recall, some of the other stuff I was reading is that that cohort, those younger rams were starting to slowly become a smaller and smaller component of the sheep herds. Uh, and hunters were having a harder and harder time finding um, like a four-fifth curl ram. Now, there were a number of things in the study that were attributed to this decrease in the horn length. Um, one was the density uh, called density dependence. So um, basically in ungulates, uh, the more sheep, more animals they are, the more you're competing for resources and space and mates and all that. And that can affect um, you know, the fitness and, and that sort of thing of an animal. So in this case, the density of sheep in the sheep population was attributed to um, uh, quite a large chunk of the horn decline, 26.5%. Large-scale climatic events that were tied to uh, oscillations of the Pacific Ocean, uh, called the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, not El Nino, that I think we're having that this winter was also attributed to some of the horn decline. Spring temperatures played a role. Um, and in this work, the Ram Mountain study, it said 8.8% of the change of the sheep horn's length was due to uh, an evolutionary change that was induced by intense hunting pressure. And that represented a 2.6 centimeter decline in the sheep ram's horns over that 2324 period of the four-fifth curl. Now, there was a huge part of the decline in the ram horns that were measured in the study that they just called other variations. They're not quite sure what they were. And it was like, that was most of the variation of the sheep horns. The decline was due to other variations. And it was like almost 61% of the change of the sheep horns was due to other things. And I mean, the interesting part about this is this is not the first study in the world that's linked um, human intense harvesting to genetic changes uh, in an animal population. Now, the interesting thing was, is in 1996, they changed the regulation in Alberta to full curl. Uh, so between 96 and 2011, the horn curl went to full curl restriction which meant more rams were able to survive longer and get into their peak reproductive years. And what they saw over that time frame was that the horn size started to increase and the, gen the genetics started to recover. So the gene they coded for these fast-growing horns was starting to pick up in the population as well, which kind of speaks to the mantra I think all hunters know you know, that's sort of one of the rules in trophy hunting is why it's quote unquote, not detrimental to populations is because it's targeting 
the largest, oldest animals in the population and removing them past their peak reproductive success. But as I understand it, the difference in, Al in Alberta was different in that the hunting pressure was coming on these fast growing rams very early in life, like very, very young. Um, Marco uh, summarized his work, uh, basically saying the things uh, that in his opinion were leading to the decline of the sheep in his Ram Mountain study. Um, in other words, that the hunter-induced portion, the evolutionary change caused by hunting, had to do with the fact that horn size, this gene for fast-growing horns, uh, was inheritable gene. It, it was something that was there in genetics that could be passed on, that the harvesting of the young rams was very intense over a long period of time, almost three decades. The pressure to take the rams was happening very early in life, and the pressure was fairly constant over a large area. And rams that would come into the breeding area from outside, like the national parks, um, which they can call, uh, they, they're bringing in new genes, genetic rescue, uh, which is, is called those, some of those rams were being shot before they got to the breeding grounds because the season ran, ran late. Some other studies have also attributed that habitat fragmentation, um, can be a problem if a population of animals is isolated and you're, and, and you're depending on immigrants coming into the population to give it genetic diversity. Um, if the habitat gets fragmented, um, those populations can become isolated and you can't really, there is no immigrants that come in to, to rescue the population, so to speak. And uh, I've talked about this before in other podcasts, but that's happening to a grizzly bear population in the North Cascades. Uh, in British Columbia, they become isolated and there's basically no other bears that are coming and going from that population. So hopefully that gives you a snapshot. Um, there's been a lot of skepticism um, of this portion of the Ram Mountain study that said that hunting was the cause. Um, intense removal of these young, fast-growing rams was the cause of the horn decline that was attributed to the genetic portion of the horn decline. So there's been a lot of, lot of discussion, uh, a lot of papers written on this kind of countering, uh, that Dr. Boyce has, um, published and spoke and written articles and stuff with, I, I would say like some different viewpoints about what's going on, uh, with the sheep herds in Alberta, as far as selective hunting pressure and what Alberta hunters want for opportunity, habitat's role, uh, nutrition. I think you've written a little bit about that that uh, you think was overlooked. But so first off, Mark, does that kind of capture, in your opinion, kind of the state of this conversation? Like, have I kind of represented that side you've of represented this? Marco Besta Bianca's views? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, awesome. So why don't you kind of pick up on the part that you want to start on or like big picture and, and narrow down, uh, cause you've presented some alternative views and, and I want people to 
hear um, like a different side of the story here. So, okay, so um, where to start? But um, but I'll start with the big picture as you suggested. Okay. And the big picture issue is that mountain sheep in North America are managed almost exclusively as a trophy game animal. We manage for trophies. It's despicable how we manage sheep in North America. Why aren't we managing for sustainable yield like we do every other ungulate population? Um, but we manage bighorns and um, uh, doll sheep and stone sheep for trophies. Period. So big bighorns, males. Yeah, yeah. And and so um, the only reason that that you'd hunt a, a a bighorn would be to kill a big ram, put on the wall, and you know tr trophy hunting has gotten pretty bad press in as as you've commented on previous episodes of the, of your podcast and and for some re in, in some ways i think it's probably um warranted that that hunting strictly for trophies is is not socially acceptable and and in the case of of mountain sheep it is counter to sound management for these populations okay we understand how sustainable harvesting can occur. Okay, this is, this is my research specialty, is the whole business of population biology and sustainable uh, yield and how we can do things in various ways to continue to harvest wildlife year after year. The only reason the North American model works is because of sustainable harvest and doing so in a way that kicks in density dependence. Density dependence is the driver that allows for sustainable harvest and also for maintaining quality in terms of growth conditions, horn size, reproductive output on the part of the females, survival of young. All those things are very much tied to density dependence. How does density dependence operate in bighorns? Habitat. And that's where the, the, the big failure has been in the, in the uh, Ram Mountain study. They have no data on habitat. They have no data on vegetation. What's obvious to everyone, everyone who's ever visited Ram Mountain is that the, the uh, eruption that occurred after, 19, after they harvest, stopped harvesting ewes in 1978, what, um, no, 1987, excuse me, um, what happened was that the population exploded to 240 animals. So the study was started by Bill Wishart in 1971 or so. And his objective was to keep the population at about 100 animals to maximize sustainable yield out of that population. And that's what he did. They were harvesting ewes. They were, they'd take a few rams, but they kept the numbers at about a hundred. And, and, um, and they did that through ewe harvest. And, and Bill was responsible for managing bighorns throughout Alberta. And in 1978, the year that he retired, 
we harvested of our we had we issued one thousand three hundred and fifty plus or minus twenty um, permits to to harvest non-trophy sheep. That collapsed when when uh, Bill retired. John Jorgensen took over as the sheep biologist, and he was responding largely to hunters who don't want to shoot ewes. It's just like Aldo, Le Aldo Leopold said that the most challenging wildlife management issue he ever had to confront was convincing Wisconsin deer hunters to shoot does. <laughs> it's just they you can't convince somebody that you should shoot a female. They are the ones that have the babies, right? Well, they also are the ones that that populate the range when you don't harvest them. And if we don't harvest ewes, the population and 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 we harvest say two percent of the ram pop, you know, two percent of the population in rams, the population is right at the carrying capacity that is afforded by the production of vegetation on that range. At any rancher who knows anything about raising cattle knows you don't keep your, your cattle herd at the carrying capacity that's, that, the, that the range can support. You always keep it lower than that. You will degrade your range. You will have long-term yields that will go down. No cattle rancher will manage the way we manage bighorn sheep. I think it's outrageous how we manage sheep, not only um, in in Alberta, but throughout their, the, the range of, of sheep. They're managed as a trophy animal, and people are loath to shoot a, shoot a ewe. Now, we, we, we still have a few ewe tags. I think we killed 50 some last year. And, you know, so I think a, a couple hundred tags is, at most have been issued throughout the entire province, um, you know, out of uh, 6,000. And then Alberta has, you have like a, also like a, a, some areas, a special season for like small rams too. Like you could take like a little quarter curl, a half curl. Uh, as well in, the, is, in Alberta, yeah, isn't there? So there's in, there's in, like in British Columbia, that's true. No, I we don't. We don't have the... any areas. I, like I was, I was educating myself on the Alberta regulations a while ago, and I know there were some there were some U areas, and then I thought there was some zones uh, where you could harvest uh, like a small ram, like a like quite a small ram. Then there was the four fifth oh, yeah. curl, so and then a it's, full it's curl, a one or two full curl zones. It's, It's a non-trophy hunt, um, and that and that's by by license by draw only, and, um, and and it's sort of scattered. Most of those are up in in the Wilmore, up in the okay. north. Most of the the non-trophy tags, and uh, and the the hunter success runs about thirty percent, but there are very few tags issued, and many of the areas where we really desperately need. That um, you harvest, we, we're not getting any at all. And uh, anyway, Jorgensen told me that he just he basically succumbed to public pressure that that the hunters didn't want to shoot ewes, and so he didn't issue very many tags, and sort of ignoring 
whole business that Bill Wishart was championing, that we're trying to manage a sustainable for a sustainable yield off of these populations. And if we're going to maintain rapid growth in young rams, the only way to do that is to reduce density to a point where you can in, improve the nutrition of those young rams and and get get those four, five, and six year olds to be legal rams. Right. So in the, so the again the problem really is nutrition. Okay. Yeah, because in in um so that little scale that I went through out of um Marco's study, it said twenty six and a half percent of the of the shrinkage of horn. Um, horns in these rams over the 23-year period with the four-fifth crow regulation on was due to density. Uh, they were able to sift out of the out of the records that density uh, of the sheep population was a factor causing horn shrinkage. So what you're saying is that the population exploded, and that would have led to like less nutrition. Um, which was accounting for a little over a quarter of the, the of the horn shrinkage that was seen over that twenty five. I don't. Time. I don't believe that. I don't believe that number for a minute. Okay. And the reason is because the numbers went from a hundred when the conditions were really good and the and horn growth was really strong, and that's when Bill Wishart and John Jorgensen published a couple of really, and Marco was involved in that in that early work uh, as well showing the strength of density dependence in, in growth. But then they allowed the herd to go to 204 and just lobbered the range. And alpine ranges take a long time to recover. And so this business about the density dependent uh, signal that Marco is talking about um, does not account for the fact that the range ha was lobbered and is, has not yet recovered. So, you, and it so takes you're a long thinking time that for all of the for horn... alpine vegetation to recover. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Uh, if it if it ever does recover, you know, if you lose the vegetation cover and just get soil, and you end up with erosion problems in in the alpine. Um, so you, your your belief is is that that density dependent factor explains all of the horn change, um, even though it's coincided with a four-fifth curl regulation in the harvesting of young rams? I, I, I wouldn't, I would never say that. Okay. Because to, to claim that, that I know wh where all the action is, it would be naive. Okay. Just like it's naive to claim that it's all because of under selectivity. There are many factors that, that contribute, but the biggest one is nutrition. And we understand fully well from studies on every, every ungulate in North America, that nutrition is a major driver for growth, for the development of horns or antlers, for body mass, uh, for condition, for reproduction, for survival of young. All those factors are influenced in a big way by the new, by nutrition. Yeah. So, so does evolution like genes that are coding for antler size and rate of growth and all that still come into, into play here. So, you know, what I'm thinking is if there is a gene in the Alberta sheep population that says, here you go, lamb, you got the gene that says your horns are going to grow really big, really fast. 
but you're going to need not a lot of neighbors and some really good groceries, but it's still a real thing. That gene is still a real thing. Is that, are you okay with that or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep, yep. And then it's, I'm okay it's with that. all yep. of these other factors that are sort of like, you know, a bad winter or a period of high predation or, or too many sheep and poor forage quality or a droughty summer and the nutrition's like there's all these things going on from, from year to year that are all influencing whether an individual grows big horns or not, the genetics does, does fit in there somehow. Oh, yes. I, I mean, no question about it. Mm. Genetics does contribute to variation in growth, variation in size. Um, uh, the, the estimates are in the neighborhood of 30% heritability for, for antlers and for horns, um, you know, so that means that there's, um, a substantial proportion of the variation that can be attributed to genetics. Now it depends on when and how you measure heritability. If the environment is changing, if it's dynamic, that means you've got more and more of the phenotypic variation. So the phenotype is what they look like. That's, that's the, the and animal, yeah, that's the phenotype. The, the, the issue is how much of that phenotypic variation is attributable to additive genetic variants. That's the heritability by definition. If you increase the amount of variability in the environment, what you're doing is you're increasing the, the proportion of variation that's attributable to the environment. And you're reducing the proportion of the variability that's attributable to, um, uh, to genetics. Hey, it's just a simple ratio, the proportion, uh, the, the additive genetic variation divided by total phenotypic variation gives you heritability. And if, if there's a lot of variability in the environment, such as what, ha what happened when the population was allowed to, to um, explode to 240 animals. And then we went to underwent this collapse in the population size. Plus we're having climate change and other things causing variation. The more of that variation there is, the lower will be the heritability. Right. Right. No, uh, I, uh, I certainly can, um, can, can grasp that concept. I know even, um, one of the aspects of, I don't think it was Marco's work. It was, it was another person that was looking at some, some of the data, but it was showing that, um, like large scale climatic events combine with density of the sheep to drive a certain horn change. So you might have uh, a low density of sheep and a really, you know, harsh climatic event, which might not be as bad because there's fewer sheep, you know, eating, you know, less productive vegetation. But if you hit a hit the perfect combination of a certain climatic event and you had a lot of sheep, then the impact was even greater on, on the individual animal. So, so I kind of get what you're saying that these variables are like, they're working in combination with each other. Some of them, they're, they're not necessarily isolated. Now in, in the, in this work, so, so you know, one of the things I think that aligns with the Ram Mountain study is that, you know, density dependent was considered to be, and other environmental drivers were considered to be like the largest part 
of the explanation of the sheep horn change um, that was measured over 23 some years. A bunch of the variation uh, was not attributed to anything. Um, so that might be what you're saying is that it's not attributed to changes in nutrition or available forage and stuff because that data wasn't, wasn't being uh, collected at the time. But the evolutionary portion of the horn change was like small, 8.8% 8 of the horn change over a quarter of a century was attributed to, you know, intense removal of these very young, fast-growing rams. So whether that is or isn't real, um, doesn't that kind of point to like the management philosophy of for the best thing for the sheep herd and for sustainability is to kind of like use everything you know and pull all the various lever levers, which is, you know, you seem to be a strong advocate for habitat, you know, prescribed burning, good nutrition, um, and managing, you know, total population to carrying capacity, which means contrary to what some hunters believe, that means going in and removing ewes. Maybe it would mean taking the pressure off these young growing rams and increase the full curl, increase it to full curl like they did uh, for a while, um, doing some predator management. Like there's sort of seems like there's a whole bunch of levers here um, that wildlife managers <laughs> could pull saying, isn't that better to do a bunch of things rather than just, just say, oh, we'll just do one thing and hope that it solves all the problems. Well, so there are a number of, of issues that you've, you've raised there and a number of management uh, implications that you've suggested that I disagree with. Okay. Um, break those, break those off, down. Yeah. I, abso I absolutely agree that we need to harvest non-trophy sheep and we need to be harvesting 20% at least mm. of the non-trophy sheep. We need a huge increase in, in non-trophy sheep harvest to be able to allow those rapidly growing genotypes to be able to express themselves, to be able to get some four or five and six year old rams back in the harvest. Um, okay. So that I, I agree with that hundred percent. The, the whole, the whole business about how we manage for full curl or four fifths curl, I think is just wrong. I think we need to have any ram you draw a tag. And I know this is unpopular with the with the Alberta hunters, because they love the opportunity that they get, that they can go down to Canadian Tire and buy a sheep tag, and then they can go sheep hunting, residents, of course. Um, and they, they love that opportunity, but it just isn't really working very well. And in, in BC, uh, Bill Jex was just telling me a, a few weeks ago about this pro project that they had, um, and I'm not sure exactly which range. Um, I don't know the British Columbia sheep management units very well, but I think it's in the Southeast where the, it was open for any ram. That's beautiful. If you get somebody who climbs that mountain and they're happy to have a half curl ram on the, on the, uh, on the wall and they get up there and they think, I'm not climbing this mountain again. There's a nice three quarter ram over there. I'm taking him. And, and so you're going to get some smaller sheep taken there. One of the huge issues for sheep hunters is this, this fine line between what really constitutes four fifths of four fifths curl. A good friend of mine, Dale Strickland 
used to work for Wyoming Game and Fish Department. And he essentially lost his job over a, a, a court case. It, was, it became a court case about whether or not you could really detect, you know, um, a, a couple centimeters uh, difference that made it a legal, a legal ram. And, and for a full curl ram, same sort of thing. It can be really tricky if you've got one that's on the edge and a lot of hunters, you know, just struggle in, you know, with whether or not they can shoot a sheep. And you and I know very well that there are sheep that get left on the mountain because they shoot one and they look at it up close and they say, oh, it's not going to make it. Yeah. It's not legal. Yeah. And you walk away from it. You leave it for the bears. So at any rate, I think that that, that, that proposal to have a tag for any ram makes the most sense. And that way, um, we, we, um, get some of those younger rams out, out of the, out of the population, just like we get some of the, the non-trophy sheep out of the population, reduce the density. You end up with a greater proportion of rams that can get to the older ages if, if, uh, um, if you want. So in the BC example, and so it's only been like the one, one trial. As I understand, yeah, I'm, I'm really but, struggling um, to what remember where that, where that is in BC. So, because I know in in the Southern Rockies where we are, it's been full curl um, for I think like my whole entire life. It wasn't until you get back into the '60s where they could hunt like a half curl, and then it was a three quarter curl. So, like my father in law and my dad and my grandfather and stuff could go out and shoot smaller rams, but it's been full curl for a long time. So the California bighorns, I think are, are like four fifth or three quarter curl. The North are over the bridge of the nose, the, the thin horn. So, and then there's one zone around Kamloops, um, where it's, there's a draw and I think it's like one Ram and they ask it's any Ram, but they ask you to take like a big mature Ram. Cause some of those things are like 10, 11 years old and they're broomed off and they're like barely three quarter curl rams. So yeah, I'm not, it'll be interesting to, maybe I can do some digging here. What, uh, what Bill Jack. So that's for folks that he's BC's uh, sheep manager. So. Yeah. Bill, yeah. Bill, Bill was telling me though, that it, that they, they did open it up so you could shoot any ram and it didn't really make all that much okay. difference. Most people wanted to shoot a big ram. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, gotcha. <laughs> no, that's an interesting concept because, you know, I've thought a lot about this. I, I come from a forestry background, um, as, as well as in wildlife, but like early, my bachelor's work was forestry. And when I think about like selective harvesting in a forest for, um, uneven age stands, multi-ages, multi, multi, um, sizes and age classes. You do this thing where you go in and you go, my, my forest is like this. Um, I've got so many big old ones, so many intermediate size ones, and so many like little ones. And I want the forest to look like this in the future of kind of like an even representation of, and so I harvest now on a certain profile, take certain diameter, certain age classes. And not, not that trees and animals are the same, but I've always thought animals are subject to these natural mortality rates. You know, as we know, like lambs, anything young has a tough time making it to their first birthday. 
Uh, juvenile males are more risk, more risky. They get kicked out of herds. They suffer higher rates of mortality and predation. And, and I've always thought, I always wondered about a hunting regime that kind of mimics what nature would do. You take a few of the young ones, a few of the females, a few of the young juvenile males, and if, you know, a few of the older ones and kind of not just focus everything on one end of the spectrum, which is what you're saying we do with sheep. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't stockpile sheep because they're going to die. Yeah. So, you know, when, when they get to be 12 years old, the probability of them surviving to be 13 is very low. Mm -hmm. There are very few 13 sheep, 13 and older age sheep on that mountain. It's extremely rare and they just, they just die off. And so we, had, we've, we've done a fair amount of work on, on cougar predation and cougar predation on, on bighorns. And those old rams are kind of exhausted at the end of the, of the uh, rut. And they're the ones that are most likely to be picked off by a cougar during the course of the, of the winter. And it's usually at the end of the winter, they're highly vulnerable. Uh, bears take them, but, but cougars in particular get pretty good at, at it. And, and that's why sheep hunters have a, a, uh, a loathing for cougars because they see that th here's a, here's a, what was clearly a cougar killed ram. And it was a big ram. Could have, could have got him next cougar year. Killed a ram that I could have shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Um, so would it, would it work if, if what you're saying if there were general open seasons for sheep and like you're saying any, any ram, uh, or would you say that that would be, that would be need to be permitted so that everybody didn't rush out in the first year and shoot all the half crow rams? Like what, what are your, what are you proposing there? Yes. And, and that's very unpopular that I think we need to have a permitted system. We need to, to have an allocation, um, uh, so that we, we know how many uh, sheep hunters there are in a particular area that we can distribute that harvest in ways that make sense across the landscape as opposed to right now there are a few access points there are a few subpopulations that really do get clobbered and so like you were saying um there there are areas where you can hike in off of highway 11 for example in uh west of nordic there are places where you can hike in and i've done so many times and those sheep are really picked over because you know, people that don't, who don't have horses, uh, can go back into some of these, these, uh, areas that are accessible by road where you can hike in for 20 kilometers or so and get into, into sheep country. But, but those areas, um, get hit really hard and we, we need to use the, the, the permitting process to distribute the, the hunters into, um, uh, more evenly across across the range right okay okay um, so an, another another thing that that um, marco has been advocating that i really disagree with and that is to terminate the last week of of season and his argument is that well we ha we know that we get um genetic rescue by animals that come out of the mountain parks, these big rams that are in, in the parks, uh, uh, leave when the snow gets deep at the end of the season, uh, 
before the rut, males move a lot. And we, we have a bighorn ram study under a telemetry study underway right now. And I was just blown away by how extensively these rams move, but, but the movement of rams occurs, um, during the end of October primarily, but it's so few sheep. It's, um, you know, it just makes no sense at all. So we have about 11,000 bighorns in Alberta. Roughly half of them are, are inside the parks and the other half are outside. And, and so I looked, I looked just last year to see how many rams were taken in that last week. 14 out of 55,000 sheep. To tell me that that is having any effect on the genetics is just, I'm sorry, it's not, it, it's unbelievable. It, it, uh, it, it makes no sense whatsoever that we need to terminate and, and reduce hunting opportunity uh, to get some of these rams that come, come at the, the tail end of the season. So we have about 30% of the, the harvest occurs in the first three weeks, and we have about 20% that occurs in the, in the last two and a half weeks right at the tail end of the season. Um, but it, again, if we were to, to truncate truncate that the the ramifications for the number of of sheep that are going to be taken and the potential consequences for genetics there just isn't anything there it's just nonsense mm. it's going to reduce hunter opportunity it's going to reduce the number that are that are taken uh because there is sort of a pulse at the, in early and late but um so we'll it's one one way to reduce hunter opportunity another one's to go to full curl you're going to reduce hunter opportunity. The number of rams taken drops dramatically when you go to full curl. It's not true um, that that you, you implied in your introductory r remarks that Alberta went to a full curl system. It went to full curl for Ram Mountain and and Unit Four that 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 area yeah. Yeah. Um, in in the cent central part. In the north, it's still exactly the same as it's always been in uh, four fifths curl. North, north of the Brazo River, it's all fourfish um, curl, and there are some areas farther south. There's been a full curl season uh, in southwestern Alberta where we had a disease outbreak several years ago. That's been in place for some time. When they put it in place, the harvest dropped by about 80%. So you get a huge drop in hunter opportunity, a huge drop in the number of, of, of sheep harvested, and... and uh, that's what happens when you go to full curl. You greatly reduce the number of animals taken. So, and in, in this was a big controversy that we went through in the Southern Rockies and British Columbia. So, like I said, it's been a full curl regulation here for, I'm pretty sure, probably since I've been alive. Now, and it's always been um, a general open season. And basically the data from going way back in the 60s uh, under a general open season, um, full curl restriction, they were harvesting roughly the same number of rams every year in the East Kootenai region in the Rocky Mountains. It was like about 60 rams a year out of Region 4 uh, in BC for decade after decade after decade. As many hunters as wanted to go out there, uh, they weren't killing more rams. There started to be a big decline uh, in the number of rams that were taken uh, about, you know, 
half dozen within the last decade, like a significant drop from that relatively flat, sustainable harvest of 50, 60 rams every year down to 10. And they switched the season uh, from general open season full curl to a permitting system, still full curl. And so that's, that's it. All the sheep hunters are off the mountain. So like all the guys that live up in the Elk Valley where a few weeks ago, they just took out the, um, the special sheep permit ram that was auctioned off in Reno. Like that's where that ram came from, uh, in, in early December. So all those people that live up there, um, born and raised, they can no longer hunt sheep. And if you live on the other side of the province and you draw a permit, you can come over here and sort of like, gee, I wonder where I'm going to find a ram uh, type hunting. And so that was like a massive amount of hunter opportunity that was lost by going to the draw system. But the general open season full curl, even though that can be considered like trophy, put a lot of sheep hunters out there spending a lot of money, but it never caused a drastic over-harvesting of rams. Yeah. Um, so that's the tough, eh? Like, do you want lots of sheep hunters well, out there well, so, or so a I'll, few? <laughs> I'll, ju I'll just, so the, the Alberta Wildlife Federation, it used to be called Alberta Fish and Game Association, yes, but they're they, a federation they morphed yep. into the Al Alberta Wildlife Federation just a few months ago. Sure. Anyway, they, um, they just sent out a letter, um, oh, maybe a month ago, uh, uh, very upset about the fact that, that there's been a huge increase in the proportion of, of rams and other big game animals, uh, that are, um, affordable to non-residents, uh, through the Alberta Pro Professional Outfitters Society. And so, We've seen actually an increase in the number of, of, uh, animals being taken by non-residents. And if you think that locals get upset about somebody from the other oh, side, yeah. side of the province coming in to shoot one, talk about getting the Yankee up there on the mountain, shooting one of your sheep. Yeah. One, one that's paid $300,000 and gets to hunt it after the season's closed too. We have the same, same thing here, even though it's one ram and money for conservation, but no, I, I, I get you. It, it's hunter, hunters are emotional. And, and so I think this is like a real crux of this debate for lots of people. Uh, I've read lots of the chat forums and stuff out of Alberta, and there seems to be a lot of hunters very concerned about the four fifth curl and that they're taking your really young rams, um, prior to them ever reaching, um, breeding age. There is a concern, I would have to say, from the province to do with, you know, revenue and hunters and optimizing the opportunity for people to be out there participating that a permit system or a really stringent, you know, antler or horn restriction might, you know, just cause a whole lot of sheep hunters just to go, ah, screw it, you know, becomes a once in a lifetime draw, or I'm never going to find a big horn that's over the bridge of the nose, so screw it all go somewhere else and not buy and spend my money on, on, on sheep hunting anymore. So, I mean, these are all real things, you know, that managers have, have to balance and stuff. You really seem to have the philosophy, if, if I can kind of like summarize up what you're saying, 
you kind of seem to be saying, you know, the whole fervor around, you know, managing for trophy sheep, like the biggest, biggest rams, just produce big rams, crop them off. Whether hunting is or isn't causing a little bit of horn change, it's like we need to manage density. We need to manage that through you harvest and hunters want to shoot males, give them some permits and take whatever they want uh, that's, that's standing on the mountain. That, that sort, you sort of seem to be coming at it more from the, the sustainable perspective, sustainable population perspective, sort of, it doesn't matter what people get out of the system, but there needs to be a stable sheep population on these mountains year after year after year. And we have a stable sheep population, but we have too damn many of them. Oh, we need to reduce the number that we've got on the mountain so that the animals that are there are in better condition, gotcha. are gotcha. producing more offspring, the offspring are surviving better, and the rams are growing faster. Right. Okay. Okay. And so... Th but again, it... ma managing <laughs> bighorns as, as we manage other sustainable yield ungulates in, in North America and Europe as well, not managing as a trophy animal only. That's what I, I take issue with. And I think a lot of people, a lot of other people do as well. And there's, I think bighorn is such a fine delicacy. It is mm -hmm. the, some of the best game meat that I've ever had. And I don't understand it. You know, you shoot an old ram and you'd expect it to be tough and sinewy. And they're always, I've never had one that I didn't think was just wonderful. Meat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it would be, be interesting to see what, what folks are going to say about, you know, um, about dent using hunting as a management tool to manage, you know, sheep, sheep dense density, um, and harvesting across, across the age classes and, and keep your habitat in good, good condition and your densities, uh, appropriate and is that'll still produce big rams is what you're saying. And if somebody wants to hold out and get a big one, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to be there. Um, rather than, than concentrating like they are right now, they're concentrating on a cruel restriction. And, and this is what I always wonder is if it's a four fifth or a seven eighth or a full curl or over the bridge of the nose, you're going to target a certain demographic of the sheep population and put intense pressure on it. If you want to have have, um, you know, a general open hunting season and maximum opportunity. So what do you think there? Is that? Well, in terms of opportunity to shoot a sheep, you'll do, you'll have a better chance if you, uh, if you have any, any ram, you can, you can take a smaller one if you, if you want to. Some people climb that mountain and they don't want to do it again. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll, they'll take a smaller sheep. Um, but, but I know there's going to be a, there's a lot of resistance to this notion of going to a draw. Um, and there, there are some complicated kinds of, uh, social science things that go on. If you, if you do draw a, a tag, you're going sheep on, you know, if you draw one, you're going to go and, and probably, and I'm almost sure this is going to be the case, the hunter success will go up substantially. I buy a sheep tag almost every year. I go up and I 
hike around in the, in the mountains. I don't get very serious about it. I've got a nice one on the wall and I, it need, it needs to be a real whopper before I'm going to, I'm going to bother shooting it. And I know a lot of other sheep hunters who are the same way. 80% of sheep hunters in Alberta who shoot a sheep, it's the first sheep that they shoot. And for most of them, it's the last sheep that they shoot. I don't know what proportion of them it's the last shoot sheep that they shoot. But for 80%, when they get a, she- uh, get a ram, that's their first sheep. Really? Okay. So they just been like hunting and holding out for a certain ram that meets their, meets their vision? It's a lot of work hunting sheep. But that's, you know, I th- one of the things they've, you know, I, I've seen about sheep hunters is, is that's, that's sheep hunting. It's just being in the high country, being able to go up there year after year after year, uh, and being selective of only looking for, you know, for a big, a big ram, which is why I wonder, you know, is, is it a bad thing if folks are just on the mountain and most of them aren't going to harvest one or they, you know, they want a big one? Um, to just leave it as a general open season, but for risk management and not over harvesting, you know, those young cohorts, then just put the full curl restriction on in a general open season like we had in BC and anybody that wants to go out can, and only a few people are going to get big rams, which seems what you're saying is what a lot of them do anyways. I'm an academic. I don't have to make these tough decisions. Yeah. Yeah. It's the wildlife managers that got to mix all this, uh, mix all this together. Right. You know, numbers of tags being sold versus are the public happy or not happy with the regulation changes. And, you know, like you said, at the beginning of the show, it was kind of the pushback from, um, from people that got the, that you harvest taken, taken away or, or, or cut because somebody finally got probably tired of a minister calling them going, why are all these people phoning my office and, and mad at me for, for the sheep season? Just make this problem go away. That's kind of how politics works and wildlife management, as you know. So what, what is your kind of final thoughts on you know, let's go back to big picture and the big picture of how sheep needed to be managed and the amount of attention that the Ram Mountain study gets and the amount of controversy around basically like a small part of corn change size. It was attributed to this intense selective removal of these young, fast growing rams. Like, is it, are people like just putting too much focus on that one small part and not on some of the other things you've been talking about, like density and habitat. Yep. Yep. And, and, and I think it's misplaced for, for a variety of reasons. Um, so, um, uh, Dave Coltman, uh, was lead author on a paper that appeared in nature with Marco, uh, in 2003. And, um, that was the first one in which they claimed to have demonstrated that that intense selective harvest could reduce genetically, could cause a, re- a reduction in horn size. Well, um, uh, some 
quantitative geneticists had a look at that paper and said, this is nonsense. What they've documented is, is, uh, cannot be separated from the environmental effect. And, uh, and so there were several years there um, until um, one of the graduate students out of Sherbrooke, Pujon, uh, was able to actually find it, was able to actually extract a significant genetic response. Small, but um, uh, claims to have demonstrated a significant effect. I'm not, I'm still not convinced that they've got it. <laughs> and the reason is because I, the, the modeling approach that they used did not include maternal effects. And, um, and I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm suspect, um, a, uh, uh, a modeler from a, a population biologist from Oxford, his name is Tim Coulson, uh, analyzed the, the data and, um, uh, claimed that, that it wasn't there. And he showed using, um, models, uh, you know, simulation models with selection that it, it isn't possible that it could be there, you know, in a wild population over such a short period of time that you could actually demonstrate a genetic response. He says, it's just not there. It's not possible. So, um, so this controversy peaked here about 10 years ago or so. And so I talked to, uh, Paul Krausman, who's the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Wildlife Management, and said, we need a special issue to try to flesh some of these things out. And, and, and so I, I edited a special, I and, and Paul, along with Paul, uh, edited a special um, issue of the Journal of Wildlife Management where we invited um, the, what I believe to be the key players on issues related to management of, of bighorns in North America and mountain sheep in North America more, more generally. Um, disease is absolutely the number one management threat for mountain sheep in North America. Everybody agrees with that. Marco agrees with that. No question about it. And so we had a really nice paper on that. Another one though relates to nutrition and Kevin Monteith from the university of Wyoming has a really nice paper in there. Um, making the point that I've been making here that that we must have you harvest to be able to reduce density, to be able to increase growth, increase um, uh, nutrition, uh, allow these rams to grow. Uh, the reason that the 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 the, the size um, uh, has been changing is is largely due to um, nutrition and these small rams not getting big enough, so that the average age of, I'm sorry, I'm off track a little here, but I wanted to make, make the point. The average age of, of, of rams in the harvest has increased. And, and so it, it hit, you know, the four five and six year old rams are not, not showing up in the harvest anymore because they're not growing rapidly enough. There's not enough food for them to be able to do so. And so we're harvesting older rams. The average size of rams in Alberta has not changed, but that's shifted from uh, these younger rams constituting a substantial portion of the of the harvest 
um, and gradually uh, the the whole demographic demographics is changing so that we've got older rams um, that are as large as they were before. And so the, the, if you look at, at horn size over the last 23 years or whatever the the time period is that you mentioned, it hasn't, it hasn't really, hasn't really changed, but they've gotten older. Uh, but anyway, I got off, I got off, off track. I was talking about our special issue. Uh, Tim Coulson had one in there showing that, you know, genetically it just can't possibly happen. Uh, we had another one about migration and that's a really big deal. You know, we really need to be careful about migration routes and, and ensuring that those routes are protected. Just like the whole Wyoming crew has With been the working on for the last uh, uh, 15 years or so, protecting migra migra migration corridors, we need to do the same t thing for sheep because sheep have these seasonal migration routes and and uh, last thing we want are quad trails going up in, on the mountain, uh, inter inter interrupting those, those quad trails. But uh, I invited Marco to contribute. And when he learned that, that Tim Coulson was going to uh, be a, a member of this group, he withdrew his, his, uh, his paper. He would not publish in the same issue with, with Tim Coulson from Oxford. Um, anyway, there are some, there's some very, uh, complicated biopolitics going on with this issue and it's been going on for yeah, quite some it sure, time. It sure has, isn't it? And it sounds like you want to try to pull folks back to focus on on habitat and managing sheep under a different philosophy, which is density dependence like we do for, you know, like species like whitetails. You know, I saw a while back where somebody was arguing that, you know, hunters won't take, you know, antlerless deer because it's all about the antlers and stuff. And the National Deer Association in the U.S. has a pretty recent graph up to like 2021 that in most years over the last bunch of decades in the U.S., they harvest either slightly more does than they do bucks. Um, if not, it's, it's darn close to almost an e equal proportion um, just because of the way whitetails are being managed. But um, that would be a pretty big philosophical shift um, for some of the big organizations and stuff to start thinking about sheep that way um everybody likes to say like put more sheep on the mountain so, but that would mean making more habitat and as you know you can't always tell sheep to go to a different mountain because there's good habitat there if they never went there they never will sheep are just weird that way um so density control I, i've had had people i've had people tell me that that you couldn't you couldn't get Alberta hunters to shoot ewes and that, uh, that they'd just, they'd buy a tag and keep it in their hip pocket. Well, it's just not true. Um, of the tags that are issued, the hunter success is about 30%, which is about what you'd expect. And, and, uh, if, if they've got a tag, they oftentimes will shoot one. Sometimes they shoot one for camp meat, you know? So if you're up in the Wilmore someplace and you're there for a couple of weeks looking for a big ram, shoot a ewe two, three days in, and you've got some really nice eating for the time you're in camp. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then that guy spots a humongous ram the next day. Um, yeah, that's, that uh, makes for good stories. So, uh, geez, uh, 
thanks so much um, for for your thoughts on this and and perspectives and and counter arguments and stuff. It's 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 great, and it's what we want folks to hear is kind of you know what different experts in these fields you know think about these topics because we want people to be able to think holistically about them and you presented some really interesting you know management ideas and some radical shifts in thinking with about sheep in in north america and i think that's probably gonna probably rattle the cages of a few people that are that are listening you know to this show um you know going to you know, across the board, age and sex harvesting and, and sheep populations to keep them, you know, in check with available forage and, or, or the actual season. I mean, sometimes forage production is not good in certain years and better in other years. And we got to be sensitive to that type of density management in herds as well. So really appreciate you putting out some different ideas there, Mark. Another, an, another issue we haven't talked about okay. is yep, predation. Yep. And, uh, um, and I just yeah, I thought I might Everybody a, loves predation a, a, topics. A and that that was as controversial as, as <laughs> anything. Are you going to talk about yeah, wolves? Yeah. All the wolves' fault. Yeah. So we've been, we've been studying cougars for uh, almost 20 years in Alberta. And, uh, and we had uh, a recent study. Uh, Megan Beal and Samantha Widmeyer, uh, working up in the Cataman where there's, you know, the largest bighorn herd in North America, but in the world and, uh, uh, and looking at, at, uh, cougars in that area and putting radio collars on them and we looked for GPS clusters and then went in to see what they're, they're killing and that kind of, that kind of thing. And, um. The, one of the ideas was to try to get a handle on, you know, can we do something about these mountain cougars? And so about, uh, it must be eight years ago, um, Paul Frame convinced the powers that be within the Alberta government to go for a boot season. And so for 20 bucks, you can buy a cougar tag to have in your hip pocket when you're out sheep hunting or deer hunting or elk hunting or whatever. And if you get a chance to shoot a cougar, you can pop him. And, uh, so it's pretty cheap. Um, and one of the problems is that we, we manage our cougars really closely. Um, but it's by hunting with hounds and you can't really hunt in the mountains with hounds because there's not the road network get around. And it's very challenging to, to work the mountains. And so, um, Paul's, Paul's thinking was, well, well, we'll open this, this boot season and we'll try to increase the number of hunters being taken by, by hunters. And, and so we've done it now for seven years. And over those seven years, the total number of cougars harvested by hunters is six, mm -hmm. less than one a year. And so we don't get, so how many times have you hunt, hunting up in, on the mountain, seen a cougar that you could have shot? while you were hunting for deer or elk or whatever. Well, I've, 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 I've never come, seen, I've, I've never had an opportunity. Very close, but they're faster than me. So, um, like a, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's just not happening. And it's, it, this boot season has been in place now for at least seven years 
and uh, we're just not killing them. Some years we don't kill any at all. The most we've had killed in any one year was, I think, two. So and, uh, they just so they don't get what is that. what is the issue with the cougars at Cadman? Um, if there's lots of sheep there, um, and they're not harvesting ewes, then isn't like a predation good or is it they're just taking the big rams that somebody wants to get next year or are they sort of doing the job that hunters won't do of actually keeping density down um so i'm just kind of curious like why why would there be the emphasis on getting cats out of the cataman area if they could potentially be achieving what you were talking about earlier in the show of density management if hunters won't do it you're you're hitting you're hitting all the all of the uh, key topics right there. You know, people get upset when they see that a cougar's killed a big ram, and the, the the sheep that they're most likely to kill are these big rams late in the season, like in April, at the end of the end of the the winter when they're in in poor condition. They enter the winter, you know, after the rut, and so their their fat reserves have already been have been taxed. And the, the few big rams that we've had are the ones that most participate in the rut. And they're the ones that are in the worst condition come, come the end of the, end of the winter. So, uh, that is, that is an issue. Um, one thing that we were surprised is that most cougars are not taking sheep. It's just the occasional one that kind of figures them out. And a lot of it is that they stick pretty close to escape terrain. The sheep do. And part of the reason they stay close to sheep terrain is to avoid cougars, um, and cougars and wolves. Um, but, but, uh, we had uh, in Cataman, there's one place where the ridge comes down and it's, it's good escape terrain all the way down, but then there's a patch of timber right down at the bottom of the hill. And the cougars was sitting that package of patch of timber and almost all of the, 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 the sheep killed by cougars in, in the Cataman area were killed at that very spot where there's over for the for, for the uh, cougars and escape terrain close by for the sh sheep and the sheep just sort of push the edge and the cougars um, nail them. But uh, so cougars are um, occasionally um, uh, serious predators, and Marco referred to it in in his uh, talk a couple of years ago, uh, where at uh, Ram Mountain they had a female that was just sort of camped out on the edge of the of the mountain and every week or so it'd kill another another sheep and given that it's a small isolated population it was having a significant uh, significant effect i think overall on, in kind of the big picture of our 11,000 uh bighorn sheep in in alberta they're having probably a pretty trivial kind of consequence but you can get these isolated little pockets like that and a specialist that cues in on them learns how to hunt them and uh they can they can have localized effects that are yeah important i think i was just reading recently too uh that you know when it comes to evolutionary forces like you know natural forces that are driving evolutionary changes in species that it's it's very rare or i can't remember if it even it wasn't even documented that natural predation hasn't been documented to be exerting evolutionary forces on on animals as much as what 
when humans decide to start intensively harvesting animals, you know, whether it's like, gosh, we've seen it in stuff like fish, commercial fisheries rolls in and all of a sudden, you know, they take so many of the biggest fish that evolutionary wise, it doesn't pay for a fish to get big very fast because the fishermen take them. But, you know, if there were sharks or whatever else that were in there, they don't, they don't harvest at the same scale as what humans are capable of. And they're just sort of considered like a, a non-issue, I guess, from a evolutionary change. And it would, what are your thoughts on, on that? Like cougars are an issue for population, but it's they're, not really intense enough to drive any, have genetic impacts on bighorn. Um, so, um, I, I don't have information on a genetic response to predation mm. to answer your question directly, but there is an amazing study out of Alaska by Mitchell et al. Uh, Terry Boyer was one of the co-authors. I think he was one of the key drivers in this study. Um, but, but they had several populations of doll sheep where, um, they had very intensive predator control. They wiped out the wolves. They, they shot them, they poisoned them. They did everything they could to get rid of coyotes and wolves uh, on, on these, these various ranges. And then they had control area or, or two where they didn't do the, con didn't do the predator control. And what happened was that by removing the, the, uh, uh, the predators, the, the doll sheep population increased substantially. And the first tough winter that came along, they really whacked them. And so they had too many for the range that was there. And, and what happens when that, when, when, when the numbers get too high is the first tough winter that comes along, you lose them. And, and in the population where they did no con no predator control, that didn't happen. The numbers stayed pretty much steady. So they ended up with fewer doll sheep in the areas where they had done predator control in the long run than in the place where they hadn't messed. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it's so complicated. I think if, if, uh, Anybody's going to get, get from, uh, you know, from this episode or, or the series that's, that's going to come out is, is, uh, it, it almost sort of, sometimes you kind of reach a point where it's like, well, what, what do we do? Right? Like it's sort of damned if you do damned if you don't in some things. And I think it really comes back to like, what, what are your objectives? Um, and well, you know, coming just, you know, back specifically to the bighorn sheep you know, topic in Alberta, um, it really is going to come back to, you know, I'd think like, what are the objectives of the people in Alberta? Um, what do you want from your bighorn sheep herds? What do you want from hunting, you know, bighorn sheep? Uh, do you want to be able to just freely go out, but you might only ever harvest like one ram in your entire life. But if you want to go out every year, cause it's the greatest form of hunting that there is and you do that and nothing else, or do you want to have a chance, you know, at a permit and then just take any Ram cause like it's good meat, like Mark said, like all of these things, these social wants kind of mix in with what is, is sustainable and what can nature yield us. 
And that's the course of action that a regulator, a government kind of sets, sets, um, uh, you know, a course of action, especially for harvesting. So I think the deep down question here, I guess, for the people of Alberta is, you know, what do you want from your sheep herds and what type of sheep hunting do you want? And what does the future of that, that look like? And, and that's got to help form part of the, part of the direction. But we, but we have to manage hunting in a way that's so socially acceptable as well. We have, oh, for sure. We have the social context and with only 4% of North Americans engaged in, in hunting, we need to be pretty careful about how we manage. And I, I think managing for trophy only is not sound management in 2024. Right. Right. So how would the non-hunting public look at the argument that you've got to go in and kill the females in order to make sure that the herd's there next year and it kind of concept, right? Like it, it, and, and we're going to do that, you know, with hunting They're they're, are they going to look at that and go, yeah, that's necessary population control, or are they going to go, they're only doing that so that, you know, the rams grow big or, or, you know, or whatever. I, I would almost think that selling the female harvest concept would be just as hard to the non-hunting public as it would we do it for every public. other ungulate in North America. But I'm Elk, not sure the non-hunting public beer. agrees with that, right? Shooting, <laughs> shooting Some white tails with big brown eyes. Period, of course. <laughs> no, that's the, that's the thing, right? So, so it really does come down to that. You know, when I said, what do Albertans want from, you know, from their sheep herd? I mean, that means everybody, right? So, um, and if hunting is going to play a part of that, then... What's socially acceptable? Is it socially acceptable that, you know, you're only focusing on getting to the biggest, oldest males for the harvest and leaving everything else alone? Or is it managing across the spectrum so that sheep, herd don't, sheep herds don't go through these peaks and crashes uh, in a bad winter or a dry summer? It's like, what, what, what do people want? And I don't know. I, it would be interesting to see what non-hunting Albertans think about this subject as well but you stick to the easy part right you deal with the biological sciences and you said i don't want to have anything to do with the social sciences because the human beast is harder to figure out yeah, than the i don't understand beast. humans at all <laughs> we just oh, we just had an true. overwhelming vote for for donald trump in iowa this evening i just what's going on <laughs> i don't uh, understand humans yeah, or politics. Gosh. Um, Mark, really appreciate you coming on and um yeah, and, and presenting your thoughts on on this and and kind of on on the you know, the hunting effects on the horn curl thing. You talked to that and and then you kind of pulled pulled the conversation back to like the big picture of the sustainability of managing sheep as a game species and non game species and that was, that was a really good, really good conversation. And it's actually kind of refreshing to hear, you know, someone sometimes kind of like challenge the establishment and say like, why are we managing sheep just for big horns? 
because uh, we do it everywhere in the world, actually, you know, it's like, that's, that's the focus and people pay a lot of money and they bid a lot for permits and they fly to Siberia and go on these expensive hunts and stuff. And it's all for big horns. And, and, um, you're kind of saying, Hey, that might not be the best thing for sheep in the long run to be thinking that way or managing them that way. So appreciate you appreciate they putting that out there. It's not everybody agrees with that. That's for sure. Cool, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Curtis, take it away. All right on the honor conservationist podcast is brought to you by J Martin taxidermy out of Kelowna, British Columbia. Check him out. He's on Instagram at J Martin taxidermy. He's on Facebook, J Martin taxidermy. And then his website, like I said, at the beginning of the show is J Martin taxidermy.com. He has some really cool stuff on there. There's some, Really cool sheet mounts. You should guys you should go check it out. Some cool grizzly bear mounts. Of <laughs> use, yeah. Density management views <laughs> that hunters are very proud of. Yep. yep. That uh, Jesse has mounted for them because there's nothing yep. wrong with He's that a as a trophy. Very talented artist, yep. and uh, we're very proud to have him as the title sponsor for the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. So as always, thank you to J Martin Taxidermy. And thank you to Dr. Mark Boyce. Uh, Appreciate you being on the show and uh, look forward to having you back on. Find some other trapping show or something. That'd be cool. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Curtis. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will see you in the next episode.